Hey, everybody! It is Yasser! I forgot my line. I'm just kidding. It's Isaiah! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We are from my brother Sneaker, and we've got a little announcement. We are teaming up with a podcast app called Spoke to give you three exclusive uh, episodes. Uh, Spoke is a new audio platform made by SiriusXM that creates podcast playlists to help you find new shows to listen to. The Spoke team handpicks the best moment from a ton of podcasts and creates playlist clips from a bunch of shows. And you can just search and try them out and find anything that you love. For instance... Oh, yeah. There's a playlist on there uh, called Slice of Life, which is all about like crazy, incredible things that happen to everyday people. Like, I just learned this, bro. I just learned some people pay their bills on time, dog. Oh, is that a thing? Dog, people will have a bill due date, and they will pay that bill before then. That's crazy to me. Before then. You know what else is crazy? What? Spoke also has a a lot of fun, exclusive content from Feral Audio. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, like our tournament episodes are going to be, oh, like, yeah. you know, there's going to be stuff like Sleep With Me, a lot of our, our other great shows here at Feral. You don't want to miss it. Yep. Download Spoke now. It's free in the App Store or on Google Play. And be sure to check out all of my brother's sneakers exclusive Spoke episodes at hearspoke.com slash my brother's sneakers. Model boys, cute boys, round butt boys all day. Guys, I want to tell you about a great sponsor I have, Bompus. They're premium high-performance athletic socks, and they're so comfortable, you're never going to want to take them off. And because socks are the number one requested item in homeless shelters, for every pair of socks purchased, Bompus donates one pair of those to those in need. Almost one million pairs donated to date. 15% off the first purchase of four or more socks, plus free shipping. So go to getbompus.com slash feral and buy some comfortable socks. Hello, welcome to Conversations with Matt Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. And the music you're listening to there is Les Blanks, if you like that music. Go to lesplanks.com, check out more of that. Uh, this is a really great show. I'm uh, fighting back a belch right now, so forgive that uh, weird pause. I'm uh, I'm gassy, everybody. Uh, this is a great show. I'm, I, I interview uh, Carl Wilder, who uh, does this program in Harlem where he helps people eat uh, healthy on on uh, uh, food stamps, which they don't call it food stamps anymore. We go into that, too. And uh, he really blows a lot of the misconceptions about uh, food stamps and, and uh, how we eat. Uh, it's great. He's a really great guy, and beyond being fascinating and what his work is great, he's also really funny. And, uh, you know, he he makes uh, healthy eating tangible for any community, is the way my friend Danielle Barnaby put it. Um, also, um, I'm doing another benefit show for uh, three kids up in Seattle. Uh, who are are prisonal prisoners? They're prisoners, everybody. They're prisoners, and I don't know if you know what that means, but prisoners are a threat to the well-being and the moral fiber of this country. <laughs> they are. I fucked up there. They are prison. Pr- fucking Christ! <laughs> They're political prisoners, and they were uh, forced into a grand jury. Actually, one of them has been released. 
uh, but they were forced into a grand jury uh, to testify against one another, and you can't uh, plead the fifth in a grand jury. The thing that uh, they found out through the Freedom and Information Act is that their grand jury summons was written up two months before this supposed crime that they committed, which was uh, vandalism in the name of uh, eco or terror. Eco terror, that's a fucking false word, but uh, they were protesting in Seattle and some windows got broken out and it was labeled as terrorism. And uh, But uh, I don't know. Grand jury, two months before they, uh, this supposed crime that they were acquainted with. Acquainted with? <laughs> Boy, the brain not working well. Anyway, we're doing a show to raise the, some funds for their legal stuff. At the Little Modern Theater, 6474 Santa Monica Boulevard, November, Tuesday, 13th, 9 p.m. Brendan Walsh, Matt Bronger, Laura Keitlinger, myself, Josh Andronowski, who I'm doing the show with. Uh, these kids have been, they're political prisoners. They've been wrongfully jailed for, uh, and f you, they couldn't plead the fifth, which is f our American right. But as we know in this country, American rights going right down the toop, boop, shoot, hole. Uh... And it's also, it's uh, it's playoff season, everybody. We're entering into the World Series. We're like a stone's throw from the World Series. And I just want to say, so I like baseball. I'm a Cubs fan, so I know suffering. Um, the Buddha would tell me maybe fucking stop being a Cubs fan because that's adding suffering to my life. <laughs> but uh, the weird thing that bothers me about sports in generalism is the uh, the tribalism that goes along with it. Uh, I had I I was walking my dog the other day had a cub my fucking cub shirt on because I just woke up, and this guy was like, "Hey, I'm a Cardinals fan," and like just giving me shit about, and I'm like, I don't like give a fuck, I don't buy into that. I'm a Cardinals fan, you're a Cubs fan, we gotta hate each other. That's like bigotry on on such a based idiotic. Like you hate me. Because there's a baby bear on my t-shirt. <laughs> a baby bear that loses a lot. Cubs, by the way, perfect metaphor for my life. It's like, you know, every time, it's every season, it's like, all right, here we go. This is going to be, uh, boop, nope, not this year. Just like my relationships, like, all right, this is the one. She's going to make me, no, you're fucking my friend in the bathroom. Not this year. <laughs> it's like... So, you know, Cubs Cubs are like a very existential sort of zen approach to life. That's how I view it. I view that shit fire of my... But I can't help it. I'm addicted. Every year, uh, I find a weird piece watching baseball, even if they blow. But I don't get emotionally uh, attached and involved. It's just not worth it. I enjoy it. I enjoy the sounds. I enjoy old-style beer. Any hoosies. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, let's get to the episode here with Carl Wilder. I think you're going to really like it. Uh, I certainly do. It's uh, it's really great. I, I'm just amazed and, and thankful that I continuously get these guests on the show. And I, I always say, like, oh, this is my favorite episode. But I'm continually amazed that I just keep getting these great people. And, uh, and I'd like to thank Michelle and Danielle Burnaby for helping me get Carl Wilder. Please enjoy. Your blog is amazing. It's I was like instantly found useful things just for myself. Um, 
And it, it, well, as an entertainer, you're probably living on a budget. <laughs> Boy, you are correct, sir. <laughs> I've never known a stand-up comic that wasn't until they hit Jerry Steinfeld uh, territory or whatever. Yeah, I was um, – and just to briefly just let the audience know that, listens, you, uh, you make healthy eating tangible for any community, and you help uh, people with who are on food stamps – which I've been a stone's throw uh, f- from uh, many times in my life. Um, you, you help them eat healthy opposed to uh, eating a lot of uh, garba- garbage. But even so, I have to say that they are going to have to spend time shopping and cooking, and it's really hard. It is really hard when you are on food stamps to, to eat healthily. It's a lot of work and a lot of planning. Yeah, I was... Uh, I'm um, uh, mathematically very stupid, (laughs) to put it, but, and I was like, when I was reading uh, one of your blogs and you were, uh, because you would eat a meal, um, you would have like grass-fed beef that, and a meal that with with that, and it would cost like a dollar 33 or something. And I was like, how is that possible? Well, I was eating very small amounts. I got at Costco, I think it was some halal grass-fed beef, and because the halal products there didn't take off, Costco had discounted it. And I was doing two ounces at a time. So I wasn't eating a traditional American eight-ounce serving of beef. I was eating 25% of that. And we, we have a knack, though, for in this country for... We eat until our stomach hurts almost. I mean, we have a bad habit of overeating if that's not my habit i have a bad habit of undereating. i have to sometimes remind myself to eat enough uh how, how do you do, how does one come about the habit of undereating? i think that it's as a result of cooking for other people for many years all you get is a taste a sample a bite and by the end of the night you're so worn out the last thing you want to do is cook for yourself so you have a little bit of salad Ah, there you go. It's like, there's some salad. I'll have a little salad. I'll have some salad and some wine. And uh, I got into, I had to get into the habit when I was in the Dominican, especially because those days were so long cooking at that resort of making myself eat something when I finished for the night. And uh, I would do that. The only way I could motivate myself to do that was to cook for the guys in the kitchen because they, you know, the Dominicans are always hungry. They have no food in their houses. Right now, how what led you to the the um, this green stamp uh, challenge and and like cook uh, helping people on green stamps eat healthy? Like what, what did you yourself at one point end up on green stamps or it was just? Uh, it's actually food stamps, not green stamps. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> green, st- you just showed your age. Green stamps you could trade for TVs in the '60s. <laughs> okay, you're older than your pictures look. I'm forty. All right, uh, forty-four in about a month. Okay. All right. I thought you were about 32 from your photographs. Uh, yeah, that's uh, right. that's uh, that's also a couple of years ago. That photo on my on my website there. What was the question? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I try to keep my age hidden, you know, so I can meet uh, ladies, which still don't. Okay. But well, uh, guess what? They 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 don't mind if. Well, I'm, I'm married. What do I know? All right, go on. Oh, just uh, the food stamps. But what led you to? Uh, Okay. 
I was going to be doing a benefit. I was doing it in conjunction with St. Luke's Church for the food bank. And I went to go visit Jessica, take a tour of the food bank in San Francisco. And she suggested that I do the food stamp challenge for, I think, a week. And I went on and started writing about it. And I got more response and letters from people all over the world, not just this country, asking me to continue and really see what I could learn. So I did it for two months all the way up until the day of the benefit for the San Francisco Food Bank. And the fact that I did it generated so much publicity and press, it brought in food like we couldn't believe. Masses of food, money, people, guests, and I did a 12-hour cook-a-thon a year ago, August, for the San Francisco Food Bank. And every half an hour, someone came in and presented me with a challenge ingredient. And it would be like something like a can of creamed mushroom soup? No, no, people were, this is California. <laughs> people were not doing mushroom soup. You think of Minneapolis. No, I got, for instance, Laurie King, the wonderful author of the Sherlock Holmes apocryphal series, came in with nectarines, blue cheese, or Stilton. Stilton and nectarines, and I had to use both in a dish. And, and what would you do with that? I made a pasta. Wow. I made a nectarine and blue cheese sauce that was so amazing that I've done it several times since with the addition of some walnuts and, and I use it for gnocchi. And like but and you're but you're a trained chef for like somebody like myself I would not I don't think I'd be as resourceful as that. I would probably just eat the nectarines and then put the blue cheese on like pasta or something with like butter or something. Well, but that wasn't the challenge. The challenge was I had to incorporate it into a dish. And the uh, Danny Bowen, who uh, runs Mission Chinese in San Francisco, New York, came in with a wonderful challenge. He brought me Szechuan peppercorn sauce, which is that wonderful sauce that makes your mouth tingle in Szechuan food, and uh, Chinese bitter melon, which most people just despise because it is such a strong-tasting vegetable. And I did that with uh, braised pork belly, and it was really delicious. Damn. Now, f for someone who's on food stamps, though, like, how does, how does one approach going to the grocery store? And so, so if you have, what, 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 what it was like, if you have, like, a dollar, two dollars, three, four dollars to spend a day, how do you, because that would seem just overwhelming to me to how to figure out how to eat that way well my first day i gave myself a little bit of a budget based on the fact that i was going to be doing this at the time i thought for a week and i went to costco and picked things out carefully sort of pricing how many meals can i get out of a pound of this all right i'm getting pasta i'm going to get beans i'm going to get some canned tomatoes things that i knew i could make a multitude of different dishes out of and then I went to the farmer's markets, and you can, and this is nationwide now, go to farmer's markets, they have little booths, they scan your card, and they give you tokens, and you trade them for food. It has been my experience taking people who are on the uh, food stamp program to farmer's markets that in almost every single case, those farmers slip them a little something extra. So if it's... Uh, you know, say they're, uh, they buy $3 worth of tomatoes or just under $3, they'll take two tokens, $2 worth, and give them the rest of the tomatoes because farmers get it. They understand. So I think green markets are a great way to approach. You can buy 
very small quantities. You don't have to go to Trader Joe's and buy the prepackaged vegetables and get two pounds when you want a half a pound. And the quality is so high. Yeah, that's. Uh, I was actually noticed at the farmers. I went to the farmers market yesterday. I noticed that they had a couple of the booths had signs that said that they accept the uh, those the cards. I forget what they what they call the card here. Snap cards. They're yes. called the snap cards. But as much as they've tried to change the name, everybody still calls them food stamps. Yeah, there and there's there's sadly there's sort of a stigma to it, like. Uh, or an embarrassment, which there shouldn't be. It's, as I read in one of your articles, it's there's 46 million people on food stamps in this country. There's an enormous number of people on food stamps, and it's not because, you know, Mitt Romney likes to think that they're lazy people who aren't working. That is not the case. They are, in fact, working people. The biggest beneficiary of food stamps is the Walton family who owns Walmart. In my opinion, all welfare is corporate welfare, and I will repeat that a hundred times. All welfare is corporate welfare because there are programs like Section 8 and food stamps. It allows the Walton family to pay people a pittance. Do you know that they actually refer people who get jobs there to social workers to get them on programs so that they know that the people who uh, work for them will have utility supplements, they'll have utilities, they'll have food, and they'll be able to show up to work for essentially slave wages. So as much as the Republicans rally against these programs, they are the biggest beneficiaries of these programs. Why would they is it why do they do that if that is the case? And I mean, I do believe you. I, I'm not I, I felt like I phrased that in a way that was questioning you. But I mean, yeah, I mean, the, no, you're allowed to question me. Why would they do that? They do that because they they're not really serious. They do that because it appeases their constituents. We're going to take these lazy people off food stamps. But as a matter of fact, food stamps is a Department of Agriculture program. And from the Department of Agriculture, it was instituted not to feed hungry people, but to make sure that people who don't have enough money for food continue to spend. It is a benefit for our agriculture companies. And as a result, those lobbyists will never let it go. But they're always threatening it and playing with it. And it's a psychological game so that people who are living on the edge but don't quite qualify for food stamps can get those horrible people off. They're taking my tax dollars. They're eating on my tax dollars. And in fact, it's really not the case. It's a fraction of a penny from the average tax dollar that goes to programs like these. Yeah. I mean, it's absurd that it's even a question that a society as as rich as we are, we don't take care of our sick, our poor, and our elderly. I mean, we should we we speak about how great we are, and we should be we should frankly be ashamed of that. <laughs> I mean, it's we should be ashamed of that. And and I I live in Harlem, and we have a lot of old people, and I see some of the young people not being terribly respectful to the old people, and I just want to shake them and say, do you realize that that person is living history? They were here before the civil rights movement. They were here when they had to ride the back of the bus. They were here when they had to drink out of a separate water fountain. The senior citizens of Harlem should be considered as precious resources, as living history. And everybody, white, black, Asian, and especially the young black people, should be going to them and learning about life and getting their political perspective. Because there's some sharp, great people in my neighborhood, if you just take a few minutes and talk to them. Yeah, it's, I mean, a great deal of the people I've talked to on my show, it dawned on me a while ago, 
the majority of them were guys in their 70s and like people who've like led these rich political social lives and and at first I was like is this weird that I keep but I was like who better to get a perspective about what's going on currently because they've seen everything that's led up to this and they, it gives a great perspective of what we're doing right what we're doing wrong and what we can do better but we have this It really does. Yeah, and it's it's really painful that we we really have a disconnect with uh, older people in this country. I mean, it's even like that there's was always that joke of like, "Oh, what are you 40?" like like and now that I'm in my 40s, I'm like, "Hey, wait a minute, man. It's like I I'm not done." No, you're not done, and you realize it. I mean, I hit uh, 40 myself more years ago than I'd like to recount. And uh, 40 feels like 22 with slightly fewer hormones going on. Yeah, which which makes you not make the, you know, you as me as a single guy, it's like now I'm just like, yeah, we're in my 20s. I'd be like, who can I fuck? Like, it was like, you'd make some sense. Oh, that's right. This is, this is a podcast we can say fuck. <laughs> Yes, yes, you can. Good to know because, you know, actually, I don't have a filthy mouth because I have a fear of mother. My mother washed my mouth out with soap once for saying bitch. Uh. And uh, I, I, you know, every time I say something that's a little off, I say a silent prayer to my mother to apologize. Well, that's good. That's showing respect. I grew up in a uh, no boundaries or rules. I, I grew up in a very unhealthy area <laughs> way. So, but... Now, and get to get back to the food stamps and also Harlem, cause, because I think with food stamps and, and even the, the word Harlem, because I lived in Spanish Harlem for a while, and with those words come a great deal of um, people have preconceived notions about those things and racism, frankly. Oh, an enormous amount of it. I live in Harlem and I work three blocks from where I live. And uh, I will never forget moving into my building. And this is a this is a gorgeous high rise. I have parking on site. It's a doorman building. Um, and it's just beautiful. I have, you know, southern exposure sun all day. I have a gorgeous apartment. I feel like Ava Gabor in Green Acres. <laughs> and uh, now you just so I. I go down to the laundry room, and I'm not big on doing laundry, but, you know, sometimes it has to be done. Thank goodness I hired a maid. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, and I, you know, I, I, the first thing one of the other white residents says to me is, well, welcome to the building. I want you to know it's really safe. Oh. And I said, safe from what? And she said, well, from things that happen. And I said, okay, well, I'll keep that in mind. And it was a white person, and all the white people in the building have been telling me how safe it is. And it's like, I lived in Harlem for years, for years before I left to go to the Dominican and then California. I was on 132nd Street, two blocks from where I live now. And I love Harlem. It's not only safe, but if you stop worrying about how safe you are and you talk to your neighbors, you'll get invited to potlucks and church concerts. And, you know, you can be a part of the social life and meet people and interact. Yes, it's safe, but it will be more fun if you don't worry about how safe you are in your high rise and you start walking the streets and saying, hey. Yeah, I lived on 117th uh, between Lexington and 3rd like 10 years ago, and every time I said where I lived, people were like, oh, how is that? And I was like, it's great. Like, weekends, people were cooking out on the street and would just invite you to have food. It was, I mean, it was a real community, and that's something 
I actually never experienced in other neighborhoods in in New York City. It was all very closed off. And there it was like, we're going to play some music. We're going to cook some food. Join in. That's the same way it is in West Harlem. If you get to know your neighbors, um, I mean, I had somebody just handing me a, a plate of food the other day. I walked by, and she was taking some garbage out, and I said, man, whatever you're cooking smells so good. And she goes, let me give you a plate. <laughs> and I said, no, it's, it's okay. I, I, you know, I've, I've got food at my house. And she goes, no, baby, let me give you a plate. I got people coming over, and the table's full. But another night, you come over, and you join us. But I'll give you a plate to take home. And she had this gorgeous African dish she'd made with chicken and a peanut sauce. It had greens and okra and tomatoes. And it's the kind of healthy food that, that I want to teach Harlem residents to cook because her uh, grandmother came over from Africa and she's still doing the traditional dishes of her region. Damn. So she gave me a plate. Of course, I ate it. Then we ended up talking. And I'm going to be going over there once a week for the next three or four weeks and taking some cooking lessons from her to learn her regional dishes, which I can then teach to diabetics here at the hospital. That's great. And that's, an, that's another thing uh, that you uh, focus on, too, is helping diabetics eat in a healthy manner, correct? I do. I do because I did, in addition to the food stamp project I did for two months, I did the food stamp project as a diabetic as I got ready for a benefit to do here for both the food bank and Harlem Hospital last May. And I found out that when you're doing it as a diabetic and you take away rice and pasta and bread, all of a sudden your choices are much smaller and the money doesn't go very far. It's much harder to get the right number of calories and the amount of nutrition you need if you've got a health condition because you cannot buy wild salmon on a food stamp budget. Yeah, and you, you said that farm salmon is bad, and is that mostly because of what they feed it or what is... What? It's what they feed it and then they dye it to give it the pink color because the food... It doesn't give them their natural coloring. It's often raised in dirty water. And uh, farmed fish in general, unless it's something like mussels or oysters, which are farmed in the ocean, their natural environment, is just really not a good idea. My cheap recommendation, if you can't afford salmon, is to go with mackerel. Mackerel has just as many omega-3s, wild mackerel. Averages about two ninety nine a pound. I'm trying to let everybody know that that stuff that's appeared in all the ghetto grocery stores, tilapia, is the worst possible fish you can eat. It's farmed in Asia. When the fish tanks get filthy from the other fish, they move the other fish out. They put the tilapia in because tilapia are shit-eating fish. They are lower than catfish. Wow. They're not just bottom feeders. They're shit-eaters. There's... Uh... <laughs> There's a lot of, uh, and there's, in Los Angeles, there's a lot of, you see tilapia everywhere. It's And the other name for it is basia. They're calling it basia, the very large tilapia now. Those are fishes to avoid. Farm tilapia is, you know, it's it's like putting garbage in your system. You should not be eating it. Yeah, they were, if you, now they have to label, it's been for a couple of years now that they have to label where fish and meat comes from, which is perplexing to me. Or even like I was in a grocery store a while ago and I saw oranges from South Africa and I'm like, I live in California. Why are there oranges? I don't understand how that is happening and it can't be healthy, is it? It's it's not. And it's the, the way our food laws and trades worked are really, excuse me, mom, fucked up. They are just <laughs> horrible. For instance, 
California produce in California cost me more than California produce in New York. Uh, California wine in California costs extraordinarily more than California wine in New York because in New York, they're competitive. And so they have to compete against all these imports because we are the center of wine importing. So the price is lower here after they've shipped it. Wow, that's really bizarre. I can get four avocados for a dollar from my corner street vendor, California avocados. Those same avocados that were a buck ninety nine in California. Yeah, I've noticed too that a lot of times the avocados in California stores are also from other countries. Mexico. Yeah, and that's because it benefits the farmers to be part of these trade groups because then they have dedicated buyers and they don't have to worry about fulfilling a market. So they join with these groups and it they get shipped all over, but they have a fixed price at the beginning of the season. Whereas if they only look to sell locally, the local markets aren't looking to buy locally, so they could get stuck with a lot of food that they can't sell. It's really a bad system that needs to be just stripped down to its nuts and changed completely, and I don't even know how to go about tackling that one. Yeah, it's uh, and the big big issue, or at least for me personally, is, and I, I would actually like to hear your thoughts about it, is uh, uh, the GMO labeling fight that's going on here in California. Because pers- uh, personally, is from what I know, and you're probably your knowledge is probably a little better than mine. Is I mean, I want that label on my food. I want to know what I'm eating, and I also, and I guess the other thing is parent company because I would not want to give any of my money to Monsanto ever. <laughs> Or a lot of those. Monsanto is the evil empire. Yeah. They are the worst company on earth. They want to own the genomes so that they can own our food supply. I think, you know, the CEO of Monsanto should be tossed in jail for crimes against nature and crimes against humanity. You know, if we had a justice system that, you know, went after rich people, which it doesn't, (laughs) he probably would be. Um, GMOs are a nightmare and 50 nations require the labeling of GMOs and that means that people in general don't buy them and that means that their food becomes more natural and that's what Monsanto is scared to death of and that's why they're spending millions of dollars to try to confuse the issue in California because they know that once the GMOs are labeled in California websites will pop up warning everybody around the country of what's got GMO and then other people won't buy it and they'll have to start you know using natural food i mean what a concept the best way to avoid GMOs is to avoid any and all products that contain corn or soy or canola canola oil used to be canada Canada's natural oil, canola oil is GMO through the roof. Any form of vegetable oil is going to be a mixture of canola and corn because, let's face it, when was the last time you squeezed a broccoli and got oil out of it? There's no such thing as vegetable oil. That's I, that's something I never knew, and that's a that's a really good point. Uh, so what they would put the label vegetable to make it seem healthy? See, yeah, that kind of stuff. I mean, that infuriates me because it's misleading, and it's like same with all the like natural this and organic that, and it's like I don't even know what the organic standards are. I know certain companies like uh, Doctor Bra- you know, the Doctor Bronner soap. Uh, their advocates uh, they spend a lot of money to try to push the for better organic standards or whatever that definition is. Um, yeah. 
They're a good company, as is, and I'm thinking uh, it's Stonyfield, the yogurt people. They have been giving a lot of money to try to help support the, the labeling issue. And I think Californians are intelligent enough to look past the idiotic advertising and vote the right way. I really think it's possible, even with all the advertising. Yeah, I, have, uh, I had an argument with a friend, though, and he was like, well, it doesn't list this and that and what they feed, like beef. And I'm like, um, if we, I'm like, it's a... St- if it's not covering everything, at least it's a start because these fuckers will keep spending money to keep us in the dark. They fought to tooth and nail to keep off what country food comes from. It's like, and who knows in the future what they'll shove in our food. Yeah, and they will. They they have no scruples, and they don't care about you in any way, shape, or form. They only care about money. Uh, so, uh, you know, Californians really have to get behind this one. Anybody who doesn't get out and vote and vote the right way is a fool. And they are. You know, it was – fortunately, there's no religious prejudice like with the Proposition 8 thing. But it, it bothers me that these things have to even go to the proposition form. It should be the kind of thing that is so obvious to our idiotic lawmakers that we need this kind of thing. But they, they're in the pocket of big business. I'm sorry, but you know Nancy Pelosi is at the center of the axis of evil. Californians love her, but that woman is a bad woman when it comes to her voting record and her do not impeach Bush. I am no fan of that woman. I actually I wrote a letter – Year, when Bush got into the war and I, I wrote her a letter opposing it and she was like, well, and like, I, you know, it was like a fucking form letter, but saying like, well, this, and I was like, I wrote her back. I was like, well, then I'm not going to ever vote for you again because you don't listen. The people in in are telling you not to get into this war and you're voting anyway. So fuck yourself. Forgive me. Yeah. Nancy Pelosi is part of the 1%. She is an ultra rich person who has a little bit of pretend compassion when she needs to turn on the smiles. But the thing that bothered me most about her refusal to impeach Bush was she said it would be disruptive to the country. But if a guy steals a loaf of bread and goes to jail for it, that's disruptive to his family. Of course, prosecuting criminals is disruptive. Of course it is. So what? I mean, Obama... Bush and Cheney are war criminals. They can't go to Canada. They can't go to Germany because they would go on trial there. The whole world was looking at us in horror, woman. And you're saying it's disruptive? They sh- that woman should be voted out of office, her and her Botox joker face. I'm sorry. But I mean, uh, to, uh, to, I mean Obama kind of did the same thing when he, with... With the CIA and all the torture that was going on, he's like, we're going to look to the future, which just says that the, all that torture and all that, that was, that was fine. We'll just, it was a kind of a bullshitty move, on my, in, in my opinion. To He's made a lot of bad moves. He's the one that put the uh, former head of Monsanto in charge of the FDA. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I knew I mean, that, but it's like, it, it just goes to show you how interconnected these fuckers are. And, and at the end of the day... You can't, I feel like the way you make change is the way you spend your money, and that's how you really vote. Not None of these politicians are ever going to change anything. It's like believing in Santa Claus. Obama is the lesser of two evils, and I will vote for him because he is the lesser of two evils. And Mitt Romney is the greater of two evils, and that Paul Ryan guy is a lunatic beyond words. <laughs> yeah, Noam Chomsky was saying, like, he's like, you can't, He's like, you could either vote for the old monsters or vote for o- Obama and don't expect much. 
But it's I, I didn't expect much from Obama and he didn't deliver much. So it worked out really well for me. And <laughs> but I, I expect slightly more in the second term, only because his fear of getting reelected will be assuaged. And I think that there is within that corporate Republican persona a little bit of desire to do some good. I don't expect big changes and I don't expect massive good, but I think that there are a few things that could be impacted in the second term that he didn't have the balls to do in the first term. I hope so. It would be great if he, uh, which is a pipe dream, but I was just, I always, I always want a president to uh, pardon all the uh, prisoners, uh, political prisoners like Mumia and stuff, but people thought Clinton was going to do it, but it's like, eh, it's not, it's like, but, and, Getting back to uh, the corporate yes. sort of food, uh, yes. isn't it? The, uh, no, I mean, I, that's what I like about this show is we go into other areas, too, and it all sort of, this all f- has fed into it. But, like, that the fact that people can go to a fast food restaurant and use their their card to buy In-N-Out Burger or McDonald's, to me, is is offensive. It's awful, and it's... And that was another political move. What happened was there was a movement put forward to allow people to use the SNAP card to purchase food because there were uh, some people living in SROs. I actually interviewed one of the gentlemen who was at uh, St. Anthony's who lived in an SRO, a vet, of course, and they don't have kitchen facilities. And there are some seniors who no longer cook or who have difficulty remembering to turn off the stove and aren't comfortable cooking. And so it was put forth that they should be allowed to go and use the SNAP benefit and get some food. And I thought that was a wonderful proposal, but they didn't make it broad span. They let the fast food industry get in there. Their lobbyists started hitting for it, and it became McDonald's and Subway and Taco Bell rather than the $5 Chinese lunch, which is available all over California. That would be, you know, broccoli, chicken, and rice. And they get a brown rice, broccoli, and chicken, and it's well-prepared and not too fatty and loaded with vegetables. Something that's healthy for people. Instead, it's garbage because the garbage makers had really loud uh, lobbyists. And that just put it in the wrong direction. You know, the gentleman I interviewed who lived at, uh, in the SRO at St. Anthony's kept things in his room. He was on his medication. He had mental problems and physical problems, but he kept apples. He would walk to Trader Joe's about once every two weeks and get apples and peanut butter and cheese, things that he could keep at room temperature in his little food locker that he could eat in his SRO. And then he would go out for one of the uh, uh, soup kitchens for lunch. And he really cared about eating as well as possible within his limitations. He worked at that. He would buy tomatoes and cucumbers and things that he could eat that were good for him. And that was a big issue. He had to shop very frequently because things would not stay fresh for very long at room temperature, get small amounts of food. But he cared enough to do that. Uh, he couldn't get the $5 Chinese lunch. The closest thing to decent he could get was the Subway food that was loaded with preservatives. I mean, you don't even want to know what goes into Subway's meat. That stuff will be shelf-stable for 20, 30 years. Um, it's funny and, but he they, cared enough. Oh, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's that, that, Subway, That's right. it's that Subway is perceived as the healthier of options when it's probably – that's a, probably a festival of stomach and colon cancer just waiting to happen. 
There are so many nitrates and nitrites in Subway's meat that, you know, it should be on the list of dangerous substances. It's not good food. And their bread is garbage. I mean, they, they freshly bake and they freshly slice. But, yeah, I you know, I just, I wouldn't want to eat anything in that store. If I had to, I'd go with the tuna because it came from a can. That's, uh, yeah. And then the, that's the other thing with McDonald's is I had a friend who was studying to be a doctor and all the hormones, like in a lot of the inner cities, females were getting their periods earlier, which also re- could result in possible younger pregnancies, but also earlier ovarian and, and uterine cancers due to all the hormones because fast food, it, the misconception of, or not the misconception, but the, the mass consumption of uh, fast food in a lot of the inner cities. Well, the other problem isn't the, the fast food is part of it, but then there's people thinking that they're making a healthy choice by, you know, their kid gets fast food on Monday, but they buy soy milk, which is one of the worst things you can give to people. Unfermented soy messes with your endocrine system. No one should be eating unfermented soy. Soy sauce that's been fermented, that's great. Miso paste, great. Unfermented soy, especially in the United States, that's all genetically modified. You don't know what's in it, and we know that it messes with our endocrine systems. We know that it changes our hormones. We know that it can turn boys into lady men. <laughs> you know, boys who eat a lot of soy will not naturally go into puberty. They end up needing testosterone supplementation. Wow, that's that's really... and and. Especially in California, man, it's it's such a so many people opt for soy, soy milk, and I, I'd done it uh, for. I mean, I guess if you're putting it in your coffee, you're not getting mass, mass quantities of it, but it, still not good for you. And all of these fake meats, they think that they're eating naturally when they buy soy meat. How processed do you have to make that soy to make it taste like chicken? Oh, yeah, that's... What do you have to do to it? And do you know what the primary ingredient they use in processing to pull the right proteins that can then be meat-flavored? Hexane. Hexane is a byproduct of gasoline. Wow. So what if, like, what are your views on uh, vegan and vegetarianism? And, and, like, I mean, that's almost something, if you're on a super budget, you really can't do something like that, can you? It's really difficult um, because... You know, the, the vegans will always tell you, well, you can always eat rice and beans. Yeah, you can. But there's only so much of that any one person is willing to eat. And let's face it, if I go to the local grocery store, I can get chicken thighs. They're loaded with antibiotics and hormones, but I can get them for 59 cents a pound. And then I look at the vegetables, and there's not a lot that's available for 59 cents a pound. The cheapest vegetables are cabbage, cabbage, carrots, and onions. And I'm a huge advocate of eating cabbage. If you're on a budget, cabbage is your best value. It's loaded with vitamin C. You know, cauliflower, when it goes on sale, is loaded with omega-3. Cauliflower has almost as much omega-3 as fish. So uh, there are good things you can eat, but it is really hard. When you've got that cheap meat and it's going to satisfy you, make you feel full, you know, make you feel comforted and nurtured, it's really hard to be vegetarian or vegan. That really is a choice for people on trust funds. <laughs> what, what, is, 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 what is your opinion on veganism anyway? Because I was having, uh, I was trying it for a while, and then I went to a French restaurant, and I was like, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, but well, I mean, French food. I was uh, I was having my issue was with industrialized farming in a great deal, and I was also 
having ethical issues on killing things, uh, which I really, I'm still on the fence about, but I would like to hear your opinions on it. I'm totally not on the fence about killing things. I'm with that 100%. I used to fish. (laughs) Can we start with some Republicans? Yeah, no, I would be great with that too, yeah. And I'm fine with, with hunting. I've got friends who hunt. You know, there's elk in my freezer right now, some venison that someone who hunts gave me. And I'm I'm totally with that. However, I'm not a fan of factory farming. And if you're on a budget, though, you're and you want to feed a family, you're going to go with factory farm meats because the you kind of have no choice. But I don't. Personally, I buy meats from farmers I know. And that means going to the farmer's market. As a result, I eat very little meat. I'm a, what is it, forks before knives kind of person. I agree with Mark Bittman. We need to eat mostly vegetables, eat mostly fruits, and limit the other things that we eat. That said, I have a kick-ass chili for dinner tonight (laughs) that's made with venison. But it's venison and white beans and tomatoes and, you know, it's it's a good combination of foods. Um, So it's... Meat should be more a condiment than a main course, in a sense. It should be used to flavor. Yeah, we in the United States love to... I mean, we have a we have a poor sort of eating ethic anyway. I mean, I come from the Midwest where you, a salad is healthy, but then in the Midwest they pile it with cream dressing and cheese and bacon, and it's it's not healthy at all. It's just there's some iceberg lettuce underneath all the bullshit it's like and that's but yeah and i still know people who are like think that's healthy and it's like it's it's not that's not dieting when i was a kid my mother used to fix salads like canned pears stuffed with cream cheese and walnuts we had a lot of jello salads we we had iceberg lettuce mounded with blue cheese dressing um those were our salads i i grew up eating very few vegetables because she was not, she was an amazing baker, but when it came to cooking, she opened a lot of cans, canned vegetables, frozen vegetables. And in Minneapolis in the wintertime, when I was a kid, you couldn't get fresh vegetables for six months of the year because they weren't flying things in. You could get cauliflower and carrots and potatoes. That would be the fresh vegetables available, you know, in February in Minnesota. So I grew up eating meat and potatoes, meat and potatoes, spaghetti, you know, a couple of times a week, things like that. We always had meat on the table. That's something that my mother felt was really important. I grew up very poor. At one point after her divorce, the woman worked three jobs in order to make sure that her five children were fed and taken care of. But she had a certain amount of pride in always being able to put meat on the table, And so meat is what I grew up eating. When I moved to California when I was 18 years old and I took a walk in Chinatown and saw all these vegetables, I didn't know what they were because they didn't come from a Del Monte can. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the one great thing. I mean, the thing I love about living here is that there's such an abundance of fruits and vegetables. Cheap in Chinatown. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of – there's an Asian – couple of Asian grocery stores in my neighborhood and it's like you load up on uh, bok choy and and uh, I'm a big fan of kimchi but uh, I love kimchi oh that stuff's good yeah I I would go I had $16 a week when I first moved to California to feed myself and uh, a dog 
and he came first. <laughs> so I would go to Chinatown and I would get one chicken and make it last for a whole week. And all of these, I learned what all these vegetables were by preparing them, by trying them different ways, by putting them in chicken soup. And, you know, I was just, I didn't even know what I was eating many nights, but I bought things I could afford. And that was, my whole diet was based on budget then, which started me eating healthy. And I got thin and I got energy and I got revitalized. And it's like, wow, and I haven't had beef in six months and I feel good. And that's when I first started to make the connection between my diet and my general well-being. I didn't really make that connection before I moved to California. What was the what was the thing that sort of draw you towards food and cooking? I mean, was it always a thing from childhood or was it something like was it like that experience where where it was sort of an awakening? I learned to cook in self-defense because my mother, God bless her, was an incredible baker, but <laughs> Cooking was not her thing, and she had all these kids to cook for, and she was working three jobs, and I just got in the kitchen, and I, I, I think it was my mother and my sister got together and got me Julia Childs Mastering the Art of French Cooking because they knew I watched her on TV. I got that for Christmas, and I started cooking. And she was very indulgent in taking me around to stores to find ingredients to make things that I wanted to make from these cookbooks. That's great. I love that book, and uh, I got hooked on uh, early last year making, or early this year making beef bourguignon. And uh, I could, I, I know you can't, shouldn't eat that much meat, but I could eat that or Cocovin pretty much every goddamn day of my life. <laughs> yeah, Cocovin. The, the one thing that you can make if you've got a craving for meat that involves stock but not meat is Julia Child's French onion soup. Ah, I'm going to have to... That gives you all that meaty flavor because you're using all the bones and getting a rich stock, but you're not actually consuming meat, and it satisfies that craving in a really big way, at least for me. And oh, and this there was something else because I was reading your blog, which uh, we'll plug at the end, and I'll put on our website. Which but I've actually told a number of people about your blog because it's it's really great. And now you're talking about my personal. There's also one I'm doing for the diabetics at Harlem Hospital now as well. Oh, what is that one? That is stirring the pot Harlem blogspot dot com. Oh, that might. Uh... Now I can't remember. I looked at I looked at like three or four different things of yours, but there was one about yeah. like beets. Fusiononthefly.com had the food stamp project on it. Yes. And then, yeah. And because uh, I didn't know you could use, I actually asked somebody a while ago, I didn't know you could use like things like the greens from beets to cook or eat those like, <sighs> like things like that. You just, you don't know. And then you're like, oh shit, I've been wasting that this whole time. <laughs> I know turnip greens, beet greens. There's a lot of greens that are really, really good for you that people throw away. Yeah, it's uh, it, they at the farmers market. They were snapping them off there if you wanted to, and it seems like they should have known to tell you to take those with you. Well, they probably did know, and if you'd asked, they would have told you, but they were probably waiting for somebody like me to come along because I will go uh, to the farmer's market here in Union Square to the guys who are selling the beets and get this huge bag of beet greens for a dollar. Wow. Because the people didn't want their greens, and so they'll, they'll tuck those away in a box, and then they'll load them into a bag for me. They also tend to sell them to restaurants. So if you don't ask, they are happy to snap them off because they can make a little more money selling them to someone else. What are some of the other greens that you would not normally think of 
that you could eat? Well, let's see. Uh, there's turnip greens, which are delicious. Beet greens, radish greens make a killer pesto because they've got a slight peppery taste to them. You want to avoid carrot greens because um, they've got some not very good stuff in them for you. Uh what else? I'd have to look it up. I know I write about these things, but I don't always remember all of them. <laughs> My brain doesn't remember. I, I, you wouldn't believe how many notes I have in front of me. And I saw, then rice is, like you were saying how bad white rice is, and it dawned on me, I was eating a lot of rice pasta because I was like, sometimes if I eat too much flour, I get weird red things on my face. Oh. Then are you getting what... Yeah, it's, it's a funny. American flour is has changed dramatically since the 1960s. What we're eating as wheat is not what we were eating before, which is why I think we have all the problems we have. I don't use American flour. I get French hard wheat flour. So if I make pasta, I'll make it out of a, a hard Italian semolina. If I buy pasta, I will only buy pasta that's imported from Italy that's made 100% semolina. I won't buy anything that contains durum wheat. Because it's it's not very good for you. It's not very good for anyone anymore. Yeah, I was I was reading a thing recently, and they were saying that the because of G, excuse me because of GMOs, a lot of people the protein in wheat is being processed differently and kind of has a dopiate effect on the brain. So it, it's addictive now. That's uh, man. That's such a fucked concept. Because then it's like, and they then, had turned wheat into a drug. How? And it was on purpose. That's what it I was, was on purpose. I was just going to ask that. So, so people just have to keep eating shitty bread and pasta. Right. It just it makes you want more, 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 more. Whereas if you eat a really good quality Italian pasta in a small portion, it's very satisfying. It's very satisfying. Uh, and you don't crave more, more, more. But if you eat a Durham wheat pasta, you feel like you finished the bowl and you're still hungry. I'm fortunate enough to have a really great Italian deli up the street from me, and I, that's where I've been getting my pasta. And I do not it just even uh, if it's like dry pasta, I notice even a texture difference between that and the shit you buy in the grocery store here. And it's, well, they use these uh, old copper molds to make their pasta, and the molds have texture. They have texture on purpose in order to cause the pasta to grip the sauce so that the sauce and the pasta become one. In America, we have this slimy sort of uh, uh, pasta on the outside, shiny and slimy, and it just sort of lays in a bed of sauce, which probably is also on purpose. It causes people to use a lot more sauce to try to get the flavor. It's funny because when you say things like that, a lot of people would dis, because it sounds like liberal paranoia, like, oh, we're, they're trying to make us buy more. But it's like, that's all they ever try to do. <laughs> it's like, that's all they want us to do is buy and waste and spend more money as much as possible. Well, yeah, it, 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 the entire grocery system in the United States is designed that way to make us buy more. They want us to buy more. They want us addicted. And that's that's their goal. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing I've noticed is like a lot of times if you try to eat healthy or if you organic or people people tend to mock it, which is really strange. It's always been strange to me. Like, oh, what are you a hippie? Or it's like it's really bizarre to me. It's like why is it bad that I'm trying to 
eat consciously and for my well-being. When people try to mock it, and they do with me, I get, you know, ribbed all the time and, and, and even sometimes at the grocery store, you know, being told I'm too careful. And I will look at people dead in the eye and tell them the truth. I wear the same waist size now that I did in college, and I am almost 50 years old. You won't fight with me about this? <laughs> You're living. And they look at me and they go, oh, wow. Wow, you're almost, you look 35. It's like, I don't really look 35. They just kind of have to lie to make it sound better at that point. But uh, <laughs> they realize that I am healthy and fit and that, that my genes are 29. They're not 31, 32, 33. They're 29 and they're loose. I mean, I eat a lot of vegetables and fruits as well. And especially lately, I've been, I've been trying to do that more than growing up in Chicago and beef and pork are things that oh yeah but i've noticed and people always say like oh you look really good for 44 and i look at like on facebook i look at people who are my age that i went to high school with and they also have shitty jobs and uh, homes and kids they probably don't want but there's a drastically different look to most people i know who are my age especially that aren't eating consciously and that's not like me saying yeah i look good it's just like you can see the difference. I can look at people and be like, oh, man, you clearly don't eat well. Like, you could just see it in their faces. You can see it in their faces. You can see it in their bodies. You can see it in their carriage and their energy level. I wake up and I sort of bounce through the day. I have, I'm a high-energy guy. And uh, I, we do seminars here for bariatric patients. And they come in and they're not feeling filled with energy. A lot of them are feeling kind of sluggish. And so I really try to amp it up for them because what we're going to do after their surgery is teach them how to eat well and to eat the right things and to eat food that has flavor and to eat consciously. And that's a really important thing. And so I amp it up a little more and kind of so that they look at me and go, okay, I can see the benefit to this. And then they have a million questions after each seminar. You know, but some people have gotten to the point where losing weight naturally is I, I, nothing is impossible, but is so difficult that bariatric surgery is the only option. Yeah, it's uh, it's funny. A friend of mine pointed out a while ago. It, it's it's like when we were young, there was a, there was like one fat kid in your class, and it was kind of a. A, it was like a rare thing. It's like now you go by, and I live a few blocks from a high school, and it's like you, I drive by there, and it's like there's a bevy of chubbos. It's like, it's alarming. Yeah. And then people get angry at Michelle Obama for trying to make school lunches healthy. And I saw this parody video where these kids were crying about how hungry they were on 850 calories. And it's like, you have got to be kidding. You know, you can have pasta pesto and a cup of broccoli and a roast chicken thigh and an apple and this and that for 850 calories. 850 calories is a lot of calories. Yeah. You're not hungry. You're spoiled. <laughs> and the fact that we have soda machines in grocery stores or um, in, in high schools, like Pepsi will have contracts with – it's – that is like – I worked at a at a, I don't know if you know the Gillen Brewer School. It's on the Upper West Side of New York. It's, yes, I, I certainly do. I worked there for a little bit when I lived in New York, and it was you know, that's a emotionally challenged and uh, autistic kids. Yep. And a lot of it 
I, I remember one of the first lunches I was sitting with the kids and I'm looking at what they eat and I'm like, I could probably solve a lot of your problems by taking that can of Coke away from your child at lunch. And then a dessert and pizza, like leftover pizza from the night before. And I'm like, your kids. And then afterwards, of course, they're like bouncing off the walls and then they crash. I'm like, this is why kids can't learn fucking anything in schools these days is we're feeding them all this garbage. It is horrible. And, you know, until recently at Harlem Hospital, the cafeteria here was run by McDonald's. Oh, how is that? And the, the last director got McDonald's out of here. But on every floor, there are soda and potato chip machines filled with junk. So if you don't make it down to the cafeteria and you want something convenient, that is what you have. Wow, and it was in a hospital. It was here for years in a hospital. And Bloomberg recently made a speech. We opened a new building and said, my next goal is to get the soda and the chips out of the hospitals. And I thought, good for you. Good for you. He was getting a lot of flack about this soda pop in, in uh, New York City in general, was he not? I mean, there was that... He got a lot of flack, yeah, and I, I think it's misplaced. You can still drink as much soda as you want. What you can't do is order it all at once. By changing the cup size, and you can't get, it's like 64 ounces, which is, I don't even know how many calories, a few thousand probably. You know, by changing the cup size, if you want more, if you want an unhealthy amount, you have to make a conscious choice to get up or to ask for it. You have to make that choice. And it causes people to think, do I really want it? And I think. It will be successful. No one needs to sit down in a movie theater to 64 ounces of soda. No. And it's you all- do not need that much. And if you have to get up or buy two cups ahead of time, you're going to think about how much you're consuming. People don't look at 3D shapes and really get how much they are. We have a problem identifying size when it's 3D. You know, people will look at four cups of food and tell you they put a half a cup of potato salad on their plate, and they will believe it because they don't know how much a half a cup is. So looking at these cups, it's large. It's the best price. Let's get that. So I think it was a very good thing that he did. Bloomberg, as much as he's sometimes a Republican and for the rich, does care about people's health, all people's health. And he supports the public hospitals. I know I'm at one. In a big way. He supports public health in New York. Everybody has access to health care here. If you don't have a dime, you will be treated by one of the public hospitals. And not just uh, at the hospital emergency room, but you can get involved in their clinics. We will make sure that you are taken care of if you live in New York. And I think that he needs recognition for the good that he's done. Yeah, I mean, that. I remember when that the soda pop thing started, I was like, that's fucking balls, because those companies have the money to fuck with him yes but he has more <laughs> good point yeah how- and that's why i think he's done it because he can afford to at this point yeah it, that's i mean i i don't mean to sound jaded but it is kind of rare that a a, a politician does something like that or or with the hospitals and stuff i mean it's it's I had a friend who got sick here and had to go to the hospital, and they were fucked. Yeah, and you'll go bankrupt. But in here, you can get treated at, I mean, there's a a network of, (coughs) excuse me, public hospitals in New York. 
a network of them. There's not just one. San Francisco has one, San Francisco General. And quite frankly, I would rather be burned as a witch than ever go back there. (laughs) I was taken there after a motorcycle accident, and I made the mistake of seeking follow-up care there because, you know, the emergency room was great. Oh, my goodness. It is, it is the worst clusterfuck on earth. They have no idea how to schedule people, how to treat people, how to do anything without line, 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 line. <laughs> Reminded me of being in the Soviet Union in the 1980s. Everything was a line. No, this line, you hand prescription. This line, you pick up prescription. This line, you pick up this. This line, you go to the register before you can pick up anything. Oof. I just, yeah, I interviewed a woman who uh, is a cancer specialist uh, a little while ago, and and she, when she, she's a, a doctor and she has connections, and she was diagnosed with uterine cancer, and she was told she had to wait two weeks, and because she knew people, she was able to wrangle it and get care earlier. And I was like, what happens if you don't have health insurance? And she's like, you die. <laughs> and it's like, what is the yeah. fucking problem in our country that? We will let people die when they when we could save them. Because they're poor people, and let's face it, most people don't care about the poor. They don't. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up poor. I've been pretty. I've had you know moments in my life where I make a great deal of money, but I've had moments where I was you know putting canned tuna on a tortilla every day for a week or weeks canned tuna on a tortilla is not bad no it was good a little hot sauce if you have a little cheddar cheese it makes a great patty melt yeah but uh i i was uh pretty thin and pretty awful looking but i you know but people don't give a shit about the poor and it's no i when i first moved to san francisco i had nothing i had 16 dollars a week and i weighed probably 40 pounds less than i do now you know and uh now I work out a lot, so it's muscle. I haven't put on fat. But, uh, you know, I was skinny because I could only afford to eat so much. It's just the way it was. Yeah. That's a, it's, uh, do you think any of these this will change in the country, or are we just going to be sort of stuck in this? I mean, you're doing I, the right thing, I think. And uh, I mean, I said to our mutual friend Daniel Burnaby earlier, I'm like, this guy is saving people's lives. I mean, you're helping people eat healthy and not fall prey to the the bullshit because they're poor. I think it will change, and this is how I think it will change. I think we need to read the book Stone Soup. Remember Stone Soup? Uh Someone threw a rock in a pot, but then all the neighbors said, if I add my carrot, it'll be better. If I add my onion, it'll be better. And before they knew it, they had this gorgeous vegetable soup. I think that the change will come in neighborhoods, in communities, As people teach each other, as they stop each other on the street, as they talk in the grocery store, because I'm pretty known in Harlem and, you know, people all over the world read the the food stamp project. I mean, there were thousands and thousands of people reading it that I've never met, but people know me in the grocery stores in Harlem and they'll come up and they'll talk to me. And when they start talking to me, other people ask questions. I was in the... uh, Uh, associated the other night and at one point there were probably 10 people and we were all talking about the stuff in the aisles and that's where I think change is going to come as neighbors talk to neighbors as mothers teach daughters as people realize that the corporate structure does not care about them and that no matter what they put on the label it's probably a lie 
and they learn to shop the aisles and eschew things in bottles, boxes, jars, and cans. And that's where change is going to come from, the consciousness of people sharing it with their friends and neighbors. It will not ever come from big business. It will not ever come from the government. That's great. I thank you for what you do. It's uh, it's important, and it. I mean, even in the brief time that I've been aware of what you do and the things I've read, I've learned, and I'm I'm glad to get to share this your knowledge and your experience with uh, the people who listen to my show. And I just I really thank you for the work that you do. It's very important, and and you're helping people live better lives. So there. Well, thank you for having me on. This was kind of a fun conversation. Oh, I'm, I'm glad. And I got to say words that would have been censored on KGO. <laughs> uh, or God forbid, public radio when I cursed. My goodness, there were 25 seconds of silence because they don't know how long to hold their button. Well, we don't have to worry because uh, Romney's going to get rid of that. I, uh, I know. That's He's going to eat Big Bird. They've been saying that since Reagan. I mean, I don't... I I don't know if they would actually ever be able to pull it off, but it's just been another bullshitty lie that they've been saying. Yeah, it's one of the things they like to say. Your tax dollars are going for this because it distracts people from knowing that their tax dollars are going for war. That's, yeah, it's like that war that when they talk about the deficit, I'm like, uh, how about Afghanistan? That's trillions. So I don't know. I'm not good at math, but I can figure out that would pretty much help everything. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, that's what they do. It's all distraction. Would uh, and can you plug your websites once again so uh, my listeners can? Oh sure. The one for the hospital is uh, uh, let's see, Stirring the Pot Harlem. Uh, blogspot. Com. Uh, mine can be found at FusionOnTheFly. Com. Uh, let's see what else. I think those are the two. Yes. And then you can also uh, Stirring the Pot Harlem is on Facebook. So if you want to connect with us and keep in touch with what we're doing, just go on Facebook, type in Stirring the Pot Harlem, and become our friend, and you'll get the updates, and you can you know, follow all our links to learn what we're doing and maybe make some changes in your own life and community. Do you do, you do the Twitter? Um, I'm going to be twatting soon. <laughs> Rubbing your Twitterist, as I call it? I'll be a Twitterist. I, I haven't set up the account yet. Um. But I will be doing that uh, because one of the things that I want to put out there, especially for people in New York, is when I see a good sale on something healthy, whether it's at the farmer's market or the local sea town, I want to be able to say, all right, they've got collard greens and it's this price. I just keep putting those deals out there so people who are on a budget can get the good food. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, my, that is, was Carl uh, Wilder check out his websites uh, if you like this show please 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 donate go to my page there on feralaudio.com and donate some money this is uh, I have to do a lot of research and reading and this is becoming a job this show which I'm thankful that it's it's become popular enough and demanding but uh, yeah, help me uh, supplement my income there and uh, and Dustin Marshall who edits these we, we eat a lot of uh, shitty food because we're poor we are going to be on stamp card soon um, but uh Help us uh, continue to bring this show to you. If you can't afford to donate, I understand these are tough times. Buy some shit through Amazon. The next time you're buying some shit on Amazon, use my link there, and I get a kickback on that. And uh, follow me on Twitter, Matt underscore DeWire at uh, thetwitter.com, or you can email me if you have any interesting guest ideas at conversationswiththewire at gmail.com. And uh, support all the shows on Feral Audio. It's a really great uh, place for shows and stuff and things and 
Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your support. I'm glad and proud to do the show. Power to the people, all of the people. National Security Agency to assess and flag citizens of the country who may present a threat to its security. The NSA has clearance to wiretap by any means necessary. Tapped. Incidental recordings of private conversations from the files of the NSA. Now on feralaudio.com.